our minhag is that Ruthie Abrams, being that this is a um, a yard site shear commemorating my mother's yard site, which is on the first day of Shruas, and that's when I always give this shear. Ruthie Abramson, who goes back many years with my mother, and uh, she's going to introduce me and say a couple of words as she does every year. So we, we look forward to that. Ruthie, do you hear me now? I hear you. Okay, so Ru everybody pay attention. Yeah. And we'll start this evening with, with Ruth Abramson. Thank you for doing this, Ruthie. Okay. I, this evening, of course, I have the privilege of introducing our rabbi, our spiritual leader, who is very dedicated to his own congregation, but also he's very influential to all the Jews in the community, plus the rabbim. He is a very outstanding scholar, and therefore, and therefore, he's a very deep thinker, and he's also... Josh, if you're still on, I think it's time to move everyone except for me and Ruthie Abramson, okay? Yeah, I just don't know which which one's her number. That's the show. Uh, it's 721 okay, All right, so let's take a pause here. I'm going to mute take everyone, and I'll, I'll, I'll unmute Okay. Okay, Ruthie, can you continue, please? Yeah. So I want to let you know that our rabbi, our spiritual leader, is not only influential in his own shul, but also in the whole community, plus the rabbim. Because of this, we have to understand that the words that come out of his mouth are emes, are truth for the Torah. And therefore, when he tells us something, whether it's an edict or whether it's an order, we should know that it's for our own benefit and it's for our own welfare and for our safety. And therefore, we're obligated to adhere to his words and listen to what he has to say. Rabbi Greenblatt is the son of Rabbi Ephraim Greenblatt, who himself is an outstanding Torah scholar and also, an, and also a worldwide poisic. His mother is a true Asia's child, and these are the people who raised him, and he has reflected at this day of the Torah that they have given him through the years. He is our staff, and he is our shield, and therefore I present to you Harab Menachem Grimblad Shlita. Thank you, Ruthie. That was very nice. And um, Hashem should give you good health and koyach for many years to be able to do this, to introduce me both on this year and always on Shabbat Shuvah. So uh, you should always be gesund. And thank you very much. And, and that means a lot to me. Um, one of the great milas of Zoom, among many other things, is it does not pick up everything. So it did not show me it didn't show me blushing when Ruthie spoke about me. So, <laughs> so that, that much uh, we'll keep to ourselves. So I'd like to um, give this year again, let's say, Chanishmas Imi Marasi Miral Bas Nachman. 
as she was Nifter 18 years ago. It seems uh, it's time flies, really. It, it doesn't seem that long, but, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to think that it's that long ago. And I'd like to uh, speak about an aspect of Shavuos, tie it in with what we're all going through during this coronavirus era, and then uh, and, and say a few words in conclusion uh, about my mother and how I'd like to remember her at this time. Um, there are a number of well-known themes that I believe um, most people on this Zoom conference or on this phone conference uh, have um, learned at one time or another. Um, when Claw Yisrael came to Har Sinai, it talks about the Jewish people that comprise a couple of million people, but it says, Shem, and he encamped there, or it encamped there, Neged Hahar, opposite the mountain. And so, well-known Chazal that tells us that the word Vayichan, which is in the singular, seems out of place. It should have said that they encamped there. Why does it say he encamped there, or it encamped there? So Chazal tell us that the Yisrael came to Har Sinai, Ke'ish Echad Echad, one man with one heart. Now, Chazal amplify this, and they say that until that time, after they left Mitzrayim, for those amount of days, when we counted the Sphira of 49 days, there were machlokas, and there was tarumos, means that there was dissension, there was bickering, there was quarreling. Could you imagine going with two million people, trekking through a desert? How about if you go with your own family, just your family in a car for a five-hour trip. Is there not going to be any bickering? Imagine that. You're going with all of Kla Yisrael, and you're traveling together. Wouldn't you think that things aren't going to be so smooth? And now it says that when Hashem saw that Kla Yisrael reached a level of unity, he said, now is the time for me to give Torah to Kla Yisrael. Hashem was waiting all along that the Jews should achieve the level of, of Shalom. I, I'm really astounded about this. I'm really astounded because in any given community, whether it's a large community of, of, of New York or a small little community of, of, I don't know, South Bend, Indiana, whatever community there is, there's always going to be some disunity there are always going to be some bickering, people jockeying for position, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, to think that Klayasol achieved the level of shalom, I mean, it's not just a cliche. They actually, they loved each other, and they, and they achieved this shalom. But why is that important? Okay, now we know that one of the conditions for accepting the Torah, for receiving the Torah, is that there needs to be shalom among Klayasol. Why is that factor important? Why is Shalom so important? We talk about it often when we speak about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but I don't know if we've ever gotten to the core as to what is so important about the virtue of Shalom, of unity. So I'd like to suggest a couple of thoughts. And one is that, and I spoke about this to the men on a different level last night, Vishinantim Levanecha, that you should teach your children Torah, as we say in Shema. Chazal tell us, Levanecha means, at this particular passage, teach your Talmidim, teach your students Torah. 
your students are considered like your children. A Talmud is considered your bed. Those of you who are teachers um, uh, in a formal way, you should know that your students, according to Hazal, are considered your children. How do we know that? So Rashi brings three different sources. One of the sources is from the fact that the Torah says, You are children of Hashem. Now, why are we children of Hashem? Is it because he created us? Chazal is teaching us. Our sages are teaching us that we are considered Hashem's children by virtue of the fact that Hashem teaches us Torah. He gave us the Torah and he teaches us Torah. One of the brachas we recite every morning, the men recite, Hamalameh Torah la'amo Yisrael. Hashem teaches us Torah. By virtue of the fact that we are Hashem's students, we are his children. Now, I'm going to take off my teacher hat and put on my parent hat. And I'm going to ask you a question, even though you're all mooted. But I think that you're going to come to the same conclusion. And I'm prompting you here. What is the source? What is the greatest source of grief, of agmas nefesh, of grief that a parent can have? What is really the greatest source, or at least one of the two greatest sources? And I will submit to you that when a parent sees that their children don't get along, that there is a lack of shalom between children, between siblings, it gives a tremendous amount of agmas nefesh to parents. I think we've all been there on some level. Sometimes things aren't smooth. If children aren't on talking terms, it's, it's, they, they may be able to endure it, but it rips our hearts out. That's the last thing parents want to know if children are not getting along. We can't sleep at night if that would be the case. So it seems to me that perhaps the reason why Shalom is so important and why it is a primary factor and a condition upon which the Torah is given is because since the Torah accomplishes through the fact that Hashem teaches us the Torah that we are called Banim Atem, we are children of Hashem, Hashem does not want us to be his children and he doesn't want to be our father if there is disunity. So as long as Kla Yisrael were were bickering among themselves, he felt now is not the time for Torah because if Torah goes hand in hand with the relationship of being a father to children, Hashem is the father of Kla Yisrael. He does not want that to happen. It would cause him terrible agmaslevish, if you will. And there is such a thing that Chazal teach us that there is such a thing called tsar, tsar pain and suffering, so to speak, of the Shekhinah. It's not the same pain that we feel, but when a Jew suffers pain, Chazal tell us in the Gemara that Hashem suffers along with us, however we are to understand that. So Hashem was waiting until such time that we get along with one another, that the several million people trekking through the barren desert with parched throats, they will feel close to one another and then Hashem takes pride in having children that are on the same page emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. That is one of the things I'd like to share with you. Now, that's not where it ends. Actually, 
there, I saw in the Sefer that the reason why Hashem waited for there to be shalom, for there to be peace, is because what is basically the source of machlokas? The source of machlokas is when people's midos are not perfect or they're far from perfect. If a person does not have rarefied character traits, so then all of the nasty and sinister midos are at play. For example, kinna jealousy. Boy, kinna jealousy really that is a root of hatred, uh, gaiva, arrogance. When I want to lord over someone, sinna, good old-fashioned, baseless hatred, all of that plays in. That is a recipe for disaster. If we have terrible midos, midos mushchasos, we're corrupted our midos. So that will lead to machlaikis, that will lead to a lack of, of, of shalom. And therefore, with Klai Yisrael was not in a state of shalom, that is a barometer. That is an indication that if there is no shalom, it must be that our midos are not what they need to be to accept the Torah. How many times have we heard this? Those who grew up going to school to a Yiddish cheder, didn't you hear your entire lives, derech eretz, the Torah, that even before we can talk about Torah itself, we have to first develop derech eretz, midos tovos, the way we act with one another. That is the foundation. The Rabbeinu Yonah in his commentary on Pirkei Ovas, where the Mishnah says, Haskein Torah, prepare yourself to learn Torah. What does that mean, prepare yourself? How do you prepare yourself? Does that mean you go to a Sfarim store, a Judaica shop, and you buy all kinds of Sfarim, and now you're prepared? Says Rabbeinu Yonah, no, it means prepare your mitos before you embark on Torah study. See to it that your, that your envy, your anger, your arrogance, and all the other negative mitos are in check and to try to perfect them. The Sefer Orchus Chaim, a major Musr Sefer writes, when you are not in possession of, of laudable, positive character traits, you do not have Torah either. The entire Torah depends on having good midos. There could be people who, to the naked eye, may seem to be very knowledgeable in Torah, but the Torah that they have is not what we call pure Torah. It's perhaps knowledge of Torah, but their Torah is knowledge that they've acquired like they've acquired knowledge of science, of math, of philosophy. They know what it says, but it hasn't become part of their existence. It hasn't become part of their neshama. It's not part of their, it, it's not part of their halig and neshama. Part of their essence is only if that Torah is cultivated in the soil of Midos Tobos. And we, we're coming to Shavuos. And as I said in my fireside chat tonight on the phone, we spoke about that Kabbalah Torah was not something that occurred only 3,000 years ago. But Chazal tell us that each and every year Hashem gives us the Torah. We just have to stretch out our arms, feel the embrace of Hashem over Shavuos, and we have to 
We have to prepare ourselves for that. So what we've said so far tonight is that the fact that Klai Yisrael only received the Torah when there was Shalom is because it was an indication that Shalom, that their Midas were fine. The Gemara tells us that if you look closely at the Torah, it is full of chesed. The Torah begins with chesed and ends with chesed. It begins with the fact that Adam and Chavo became aware of their nakedness and Hashem himself prepared clothing for them. He clothed the naked. Hashem, the Torah ends with chesed. Moshe Rabbeinu dies. Who is the Chevra Kadisha? Who did the Tahara? Who buried Moshe Rabbeinu? The Rebbeinu himself. The biggest chesed shall emes. The Torah begins with and ends with chesed and is full of chesed. And that is the reason many Mepharshim tell us that the Megillus Rus is read on Shavuos. Because Rus was outstanding in chesed and Megillus Rus had so many aspects of chesed. And therefore, the condition upon which the Torah is necessary, is, is given and must be cultivated is through chesed. Torah is great, as great as it is, but without the Midas Tovos, it's not going to, it's not really going to uh, take effect. And I'm going to share with you one of my very favorite um, interpretations of Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. And I, I'm looking at the list of names who are on this phone call, and I have no doubt that many of you have heard this. But I get a chizuk every time I hear it, and I will share it with you. It says in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Gemara dissects the Pasuk that we say every Friday night in Eshes Chayel. Sheker hachein vehevel hayofi. False is grace, and hevel is yofi. Isha yiras Hashem hitesalol. That is a woman who fears Hashem, she is praised. And the Gemara tells us that each one of the parts of this Pasuk refers to a different, different generation. Sheker hachein, grace is false. This is the generation of Moshe and Yehoshua, who studied so much Torah. Hebel HaYofi, what is the Yofi? That's the generation of Chizkiah the king, that they were even more well-versed in Torah as a whole than the generation of the desert. What could be better than that? Isha Yeras Hashem Hitesalol. A God-fearing woman, she shall be praised. This is an allusion to the generation of the times of the mission of Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eloi that they were so poor that they didn't have enough clothing. So six Talmidim, Shisha, Mishasim, Betalas, Echad, Ba'oiskim, Betaira. Six Talmidim shared one Talas. Talas means a cloak, like, like a poncho, if you will. They, six of them shared their Talas. They were so poor, but yet they learned Torah. And what, how do we understand this? So how do you learn, how can one talus possibly cover six people? Try this with your children. If you have more than one daughter at home, and especially if you have two or three, and you have one skirt or one outfit, and let's say they're very close in age and in size, and you're gonna go say to them, you know what, you'll work it out, you'll share the outfit and it'll be fine, just like Rabbi Huda Bayelayas Talmidim. How far are you going to get with that? Not very far. So Reb Chaim Shmulevitz says, how did that happen? He says, very simple. Why is one talus not large enough to cover six people? 
Because if I pull the talus onto myself and my friend pulls it onto himself and the third person pulls it onto himself, it's not enough to go around. But if I take the talus and I don't cover myself, I push it onto my friend and he pushes it onto his friend and he pushes it onto his friend. Then one talus is more than enough for six people because everyone is being mavater, everyone foregoes their right to wear the talus. It's more important to me that you have the talus. All of you are mothers. You know this. If there's, a, if there's limited, a por one portion left on the table if you haven't had dinner yet. If you haven't had dinner and one of your children says, Ma, I said, there's one more piece, one more portion. Can I have it? Sure. Go ahead and have it and you'll find something else. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Or is it only my house? <laughs> sorry, to give, sorry to give some secrets away. In any event, what don't you do for someone that you love? You share what you have. Says the Gemara, according to Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, who I was privileged and Zaycha to learn under back in the 1970s in Mir Yeshiva Yerushalayim, and I can hear him say this, that the greatest generation as great as it was by Moshe, as great as it was by Chizkiah the king, and they were so well-versed in Torah. But you know what outshines that? When the Torah that is learned is learned with this selflessness, with this chesed, with this willingness I want you to have. And I want to tell you something. It's not only the talus that they shared. I'm sure that they shared everything. That if one of them said a novel thought and the Rebbe would compliment him, he probably, that Talmud probably would have said, I heard it from my father, Moshe. And Moshe says, no, I heard it from Yankel. That's the way they were. They shared with one another. This is really the climate again in which Torah can thrive. I'll tell you a story that I just heard. It was told over by a, a Yid who's a Chazan. He's 95 years old. And he grew up in Hungary. I believe in the city of Ungvar. And he heard this story from his mother. And he said that there was a Hasana. And there are like a hundred men in the Hassan's room and a hundred women in the Kala's room. And the great Rebbe, the Hasidish Rebbe, the Kastira Rebbe, he was going to officiate Bibasada Kedushin. And the Gabbik says, Rebbe, the chuppah is fertig. The chuppah is ready. Everything's ready to go. The wine is there. Everything is there. We're ready to go to the chuppah. So the Rebbe, great Hasidish Rebbe, he says, I want you to call over the kala. Whoa, the Rebbe is calling over the kala? What, what, what does the Rebbe have to do with the kala? So the Rebbe says to the kala, I want to tell you a story before the chuppah. And this is the story. It goes like this. In Shemayim, there are malachim that are flying all over the place, the heavenly angels. And all of a sudden, there's a big tumult in Shemayim, and the angels are running around, and there's enthusiasm and excitement. And someone said, What's happening? And I'm also, you don't know, this great Talmud Chacham just passed away and he's bring, now being brought to Shemayim. He's being brought up to heaven. And it's a big simcha. We will receive him. And they usher him into Shemayim to the Kisiyah Kavod and now he has to undergo judgment 
Where does he go? Does he go to go to Ganeden? Or does he go to the opposite place? The hot place. So the Malachim say, let's look at his mitzvahs. And they said, this Yid was such a great scholar. He learned so many svarim, all the books. And they took all the svarim that this Yid, this Tamachachim learned, and they put it on the scale, one after another, 10 and 20, 30, hundreds of svarim are sitting on the scale. It almost broke the scale. And on the other end, a few little minor infractions. Maybe he wasn't so careful with the way he spoke there, or maybe he didn't do something perfectly here. But the smurim just, it was no, it was just no competition. And it says, you go straight to Ganeiden. And all of a sudden they hear, all of a sudden they hear a voice of an angel. Panu Makan, clear out the space. Let me come in. Yes. What do you want? The angel says, I know that you put all these svarim on the scale, but I know that this Tamil Chacham, even though he had the knowledge of those books, but he really was not learning for the sake of heaven for Hashem. Everything that he did was in order to be able to be honored by his community. He wanted covered. He wanted a good paying position. Yes, he learned the books, but it's not what you think. And I'll show you. And the angel blew on the books and all the books just scattered. And he was left with the Averis on the other scale. So you know what happens when the Averis outweigh the mitzvahs. So that's what happened to that person. Next, a Pashatayid, a simple Jew comes in. Let's weigh his mitzvahs in Averis. And they start weighing the Averis, here he didn't put on tefillin, and here he didn't daven, and here he didn't fast, and so on. They start piling up. And uh, he did some nice things, of course. Everybody does nice things, you know. He probably walked a little old lady across the street. So he'll get a schuss. And they said, you know what? Your Averis are too much. You go to, to Gehenna. All of a sudden, an angel says, Panu Makaim, Panu Makaim. Clear out the space. I have what to say. Yes, this Yid, he took a track of land and he built a, a modest little house on it, a little shack. And he equipped it with several beds and a kitchen because he wanted to have a place where people that were traveling and hungry, there was a city called Sigeth, and there's a city called Munkach, and people would travel, and at night, it's difficult to travel. In those days, they didn't have the roads that we have today. And he says, at least people could stay over. He says, this Yid, when people came and stopped off at his inn, he gave them dinner, he gave them supper, he never charged. He never charged them money. And he gave them a clean bed, he never charged them money for the lodging. And the next day, when they woke up and they continued on their trip, he loaded them up with bread, more bread, more bread. He wanted to make sure that they had what to eat until they get to their final destination. And in Shemayim they said, Oh, 
let's see how much bread, and the Malach put all the bread on the scale. It was such a heavy scale. It was weighed down from all the bread, and it was Paskin that he goes to Ganeiden. The Karastiri Rebbe says to the Kala, remember the bread. Remember the bread. Yet's coming against to the Chippah. Now we can go to the Chippah. Now you have that lesson. And this Chazan said, and you know who the Kala was? He said it was his own mother. It was a true story that the Rebbe told her. You see, the things that really count in life are a concern for other people. The Chesed that we do, the Rus type Chesed, the Talmidim of Rabbi Yehuda Bari Loy that stuck the Talis onto the next one. These are signs of greatness. These are what it takes for Torah to grow and Torah to really shine. So I'd like to, I'd like to make a point. Over these past two and a half months, you may agree with me, but I've observed that I think as a whole, I think we've become a softer people. I think we've become more tolerant. I think our mitos have really developed in a beautiful way. There is, there was initially an achdus, the same Reb Chaim Shmulevitz that told us the story about the six Talmidim with one talus said that as great as the unity was when we received the Torah, the unity of Purim, they were macabre, the Torah again was even greater, he says in his Sefer, because you know what united the Jews at the time of Purim? The fear that they were going to be annihilated by Haman. When you have fear, you come together and you put your differences aside. Let's just think, as this broke, this coronavirus era, if you will, when it started, it was so scary. We didn't know who's going to get sick. And with every report we read on the East Coast, so many people are sick and died. It was scary. People couldn't sleep at night. They didn't know what the next morning brings. I think that in our hearts, we were united in the sense that the differences between us didn't really make a difference that much anymore. It really didn't. What mattered was that we wanted to survive. We want our children to be healthy. So I think that that really initially gave us a shot of achtos, of unity. And then we got used to dealing with disappointments. Everything that doesn't go our way up until this time, we feel disappointed and we act out. We became used to not getting things that we want. The stores not having all the products that we want, not being able to go on to, to visit our children, not being able to go to simchas, our sons not having their bar mitzvahs in shul, our sons and daughters not getting married in the way that they always dreamed that they would at wedding halls. The list goes on and on and on. The disappointments grew from day to day. And I told my wife early on, you know what? 
I think we're all getting used to dealing with disappointments. And I told this to the girls at Esther Miller Bay Saco, I think that this will serve us well. After this is over, we will have grown from the experience, our sense of arrogance, our sense of uh, competition, our sense of needing to have what we want and be there first and get it first. I think we see a healthy dose of reality of what's important. I think that's something that really we've grown from over the past 10 weeks. And I'd like to submit to you that if we're going to reach the achdus, the shalom for Kabbalah Satoru, which is on Shruas, I really feel that we are positioned this year more than we were, better than we were any other year than I can simply remember. I can't remember. I'm talking about disappointments. I don't mean to trivialize this. You know what disappointment is? When nobody on the East Coast can find cream cheese before Shavuos? Do you know what that is? Can't find cream cheese for a cheesecake. So you know what? I'll have a Shavuos without a cheesecake. If I can have shmuas without a shul, if I can have shmuas without dominating with dominion, if I can have shmuas without having an aliyah on my mother's yard side, if I can have shmuas without dominating saying Kaddish for my mother on her yard side, if Kleisel can go through these disappointments, then we can go through everything. Then not having a stickle of cheesecake on shmuas won't be so terrible this year. So you'll eat ragalach and not cheesecake. Incidentally, it's not so bad. Unbelievable what we've learned over these past 10 weeks. And I don't want us to forget for a moment. And Baruch Hashem, we're talking about reopening. Our shul has already ordered tents. We hope that they arrive early next week and we'll be able to set up on a limited way Minyanim outside before we get the sanction to come back in. You've, you know that in other cities they're doing this as well. Things are la'at la'at, sabislachfais, a little bit at a time, opening back up. But let's not forget what we've learned. We've learned what achdus is. We've learned that what midas are. And this is, this shavuos, as I said on the phone call, shavuos, if we utilize it properly, it's considered as if, says Chazal, if you accept the Torah, it's as if you've never sinned. You can emerge from this Shavuos like you emerge from the Ela. Think of the sense, the pristine sense of cleanliness after that Ne'ila, after the Shafer, we make the Habdallah, you feel so good. We dance to the Shanabah. Those of us who weep is because we feel such an elation what we've accomplished. On, on Yom Kippur, I, I, I think that we can feel the same elation this Shavuos because Shavuos will result in us having an elevation like we've never had before. This is the kind of person that my mother was. My mother, Allah Shalom, her midas were superb. She, she was so selfless. She always put herself last. Nothing, she didn't need anything. She never rushed to get anything. It was always for Yenem, it was always the, preparing all kinds of delicacies to stock her freezer so that when all of her guests come, they can come into the house and 
make a bracha and, and be machabit people. And she just exuded the warmth and exuded the sense of achta. She was loved throughout the community of Memphis. People who were Orthodox, conservative, reform, unaffiliated, whoever came into contact with my mother came away feeling so good about themselves and so special. And that's what she gave everyone. So if we could incorporate these lessons, the lessons that I'm sharing with you about my mother's life and what she meant to all of us in Halavai, I feel personally so short in coming up to what she was. I'd love to learn from her and think about her at this time, but it's a perfect timing. Her Heligan Shama was Oila came up to Shemayim at, at, at dawn, Alos HaShachar, the first morning of when the Torah was given, when you, we didn't finish learning all night, we're Makabal the Torah, we feel that elation. That's where Heligan Shama went back to the Rabbani Shalaylam. And yes, when she came to Shemayim, there was plenty bread that was on the scale and plenty of good cakes and plenty of simcha and plenty of good things that she gave to everyone. So I'd like to just conclude by telling you that we have a very special community and I'll just leave you with one thought in the name of the Zohar to pull it all together. The question is asked, how is it possible that Mashiach is gonna come when all the Jews do tshuva? Think about it. So many millions of Jews over the entire world, so many are unaffiliated and don't know about Torah, they're all going to do tshuva. Listen to what the Medrash Zohar says. The Medrash says that even if one Beisach Nesses, one shul, that's the Lashon, one community does tshuva, so it's called in the Svarim, Kenishta Chada, Kenishta is the Aramaic word for Knesset. One shul does tshuva. That one shul can bring back all of Klal Yisrael to the Gula Shlema. I think that our shul is so positioned, Baruch Hashem, that we feel the achdos, we feel the strength, we feel the Torah coming up upon us on Shavuos. So if we all put our hearts together and we want to be one, and we want to feel like one on an emotional level, on a spiritual level. So Mirz Hashem, our goodest Israel of St. Louis, but really I don't want to be so selfish. I believe the entire Frum community of St. Louis comprises a Kanishta Chada. Let us all come together in our community and let us be that Kanishta that will usher in Mashiach Tzitkenu Bimheirabiyamenu. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time two nights before Shavuos. I really, I didn't know whether this would be a good time, but I figured if not now, when? And so I thank each and every one of you. I, I'll tell you one thing. We have more participants of the men, of women tonight than I had of men last night. So, ladies, keep it up, keep it up. And encourage your husbands to come to my shir tomorrow night at the same time when I teach them about the Hilkas Tabatara. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank, oh, thank, thank you, Josh Bregman. I just want to thank Rabbi Bregman from MTI. He's the host of the Zoom, and he put everything together. I don't know if he's still on or Hana is, and I appreciate I'll tell him. helping us. I'll tell him. Hi, Eliza. Please tell. Oh, Eliza, you're on. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Good night, everybody.
Good night. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. 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 Thank